Look, I don't care who you are, where you're from, what type of business that you run, whether you're an RIA or you work for a broker dealer or you're a hybrid, whether you do a lot of AUM business or a lot of fee-based planning business, I don't care. There's basically, no matter who you are and what you do, six main processes that every single financial planning practice needs to have in order to be a successful, self-run, organized business that doesn't suck the life out of you, okay? And you're going through these six processes, whether they are formalized or whether they are documented or not. So often I'll have advisors reach out to me and say, okay, I know I need more systems and processes, but honestly, I don't even know where to start. So that is exactly what we are going to do in today's episode is we are going to break down the six and the bonus process that every financial planning practice needs to have. Let's go. Okay, and I know you tuned into the podcast today because you are one of those advisors that gets it. You know that it's possible to have energy left over for your family and still have a dream business. And you know the business I'm talking about, the one that you are running instead of it running you. So if you're new to The Efficient Advisor, welcome. I'm so, so glad you're here. I'm Libby Grywe, and I started Built and Sold by age 37, a 100% referral-only planning practice that I grew to seven figures as a solo advisor without buying a practice all while working just three days a week and taking off 14 weeks a year so I could lean into being a mom, a wife, a friend, a sister, a daughter, and frankly, a travel-obsessed human who loves taking vacations. (laughs) And I'm really just here to walk alongside you and to show you how to do exactly the same thing. And really, I just, I want to help you take immediate action on the most important strategies for scaling, organizing, and creating less stress and overwhelm in your business. We are about to transform your practice one right next step at a time. So move over exhaustion, get out of the way, advisor ADD. It is time to take the one right next step to build a business and a life that you love. And we're gonna start doing that this week through building out and really understanding what are some of the key processes in your practice. So advisors will come to me and I said this in the intro and say like, okay, I know I need more systems and processes in my business. I get it, right? I know I need to be able to delegate. I know we need standard operating procedures. I know I need, you know, you name it, an employee handbook, a just a defined process of how we do everything. You know, gosh, if we get turnover on our team, I want somebody to be able to step in and have something to follow. Yes, I get it. And that's exactly what we should be doing. And no advisor really wants to take the time out of their practice to work on it. Because why? Well, it kind of sucks. It's sort of boring. It's kind of tedious. It's not the fun, exciting work that we got into this business to do. However, you are doing these processes whether you're doing them intentionally or not. So if you're going to be doing it, I would much, 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 much prefer for you to be doing it with intention and to have strategy and a plan behind everything that you're doing. 
And don't get me wrong, every advisor has this experience, right? Where we're building our business, we're working around the clock, we're getting the clients, and we're just kind of doing things willy-nilly. And a lot of what we're doing lives up in our head. And I get that. And then you hire somebody and you train them and you teach them and they're kind of your right-hand man or woman and you're doing all the things and everything also kind of lives in their head. Okay, so what we're gonna want to do is get everything out of our head and down onto paper. And what that allows us to do is a couple of different things. One, it allows you to have documented processes. One, this is awesome for compliance, depending on who you are and where you are. You know, you might need to be able to show or articulate to an auditor, hey, here's the type of service that we're providing. Here's what our client service model looks like. Here's what we're doing for the fees that we're collecting. Another reason you're going to want to have documented processes is so that you can scale. Most advisors that I talk to are like, hey, I work like a crazy person. I'm super overwhelmed. My big goal, Libby, is to not work on Fridays or to get down to 40 hours or to do, you know, I I talk to a lot of parents that are like, hey, I loved what you did. I want to build my practice while working three days a week so I can be a super present mom or a super present dad Or, gosh, you know, we have stuff going on in our family and I want to be able to be there for my mom who needs additional care. There's a gazillion reasons why you might want to work less. There's also, and none of these are mutually exclusive, right? All of these can occur at the same time. There's also people who are like, hey, I want to scale. I want to do what I'm doing on a bigger, you know, on a bigger picture. I want to be able to do this for more people. I want to be able to do it better. I want to be able to do it faster. I want to be able to add more value. And when we get these processes down on paper, when we get them documented, not only does it give us a framework for us to work within, it also allows us to continually improve. When we can look at something objectively on a CEO day and say, okay, here is what we're doing for this process. And then to be able to juxtapose that or make another column, right? And here's where we like to be. You know, as you and I listen to podcasts, as we're over on LinkedIn as we're cyberstalking some of our famous, you know, celebrity advisors that we like to follow. We're picking up these tidbits and things that they're doing, right? And there's a couple of different ways that this can affect us. Often, I think we look around and go, oh my gosh, these are what all these advisors say they're doing. And look at me, I'm hardly doing any of that. And oh man, now we get into that downward spiral of, I'm not any good at this job. I'm not adding as much value to my clients as I should be. I'm not this, I'm not that. Or we can look at it this way and say, holy smokes, we have this arsenal of amazing ideas that as I add capacity, as I add team members, as I streamline my existing systems and processes, look at this opportunity of ways that I can level up my business. And I really want to focus on the latter today, looking at our systems and processes in a way of like, hey, here's where we're at kind of objectively, right? Like here's where we're at right now. No shame, no guilt, just, hey, here's what we're doing. And then here's where I'd like to be. And then how do we build a plan to bridge the gap? And I was talking with an advisor today, right? And we were just talking about how do you make it one degree better? You know, how do every time you execute a CEO day, so let's say you do it once a quarter, how do we look at the different systems and processes in our business? So let's take, um, you know, client experience, for example, or client service, our service model. How do we take what we're doing and how do we just make it one degree better? Instead of trying to go from zero to 100, what if we just went from zero to five and then five to 10? How do we just 
incrementally improve our systems, our processes each and every time we sit down to review them and just small tweaks to make them better, faster, simpler, cheaper, easier, whatever, you name it. So the goal being to document where we're at, build out these systems and processes so that they can be done consistently. And it is really hard if everything lives in your head and everything lives in your assistant's head, it is so hard to execute a process that is consistent and nothing falls through the cracks. When everything does live in a head and you've got someone that takes a vacation or someone that goes on maternity leave or for whatever reason, you maybe lose that employee, that's when things start to fall through the cracks. And for me, I feel like that's when most advisors start to feel that actual like you know stress of being a business owner, of being a CEO of the practice, knowing that this all falls on you. So if you're one of those advisors who's like, okay, look, I get it, I'm ready to step into that CEO role, I'm really ready to look at my practice as a business and I wanna start laying some foundations and I just I just don't know where to start. There's essentially six main financial planning processes that every business has to have. And you're doing them already, whether you have them documented or not. So let's carve out the time today to go through each of these processes and talk about what you need to be building out in your practice. And then there's a bonus So really there's seven, but not every practice needs the seventh one. So we'll get into it. Okay, so the first process that every business has is prospecting or marketing. So this is the process by which you accumulate new clients. So if you attended any of our live events or you work with me, you know how I feel about having a really good, tightly defined way of acquiring new clients. Some of my favorites are through what I would call our white glove referral events that we used to host, but this can also look like social media referrals. This can also look like webinars, workshops, charitable events, different things that you might do in your practice to bring new clients through the door. So having a system or a process in place, and you might have a couple. So all of these processes or main processes, right, are all going to have micro processes within them. So you're going to have a defined process. If you're going to host a live workshop, let's say on, you know, the new secure act, right? You might have a process that you follow for, Hey, here's how we invite clients. Here's how we find a venue. Here's how we set up the venue. Here's how we, I don't know if you're going to feed the people, if you want to feed the plate liquors, or if you're just going to have cookies and coffee or whatever, you're going to have your system or your process that this is the thing that we follow each and every time that we do one of these events. Here are the steps that here are each and every step that needs to happen in order for this to be a successful event before. Here's what needs to happen during And then here's what needs to happen afterwards from a follow-up perspective. This is our webinar process. This is our live workshop process. This is our client event process. This is our client appreciation event. This is our new client event. This is our whatever it is that you choose to do. Manny Petties, Yoga Rita, you name the event. You're going to have a start to finish process for each of those that you're going to follow each and every time. And once you establish a process, documenting it on paper 
and then going back and refining it and really, you know, taking the time after you host the workshop to go back and say, here's what worked really well. Here's that, you know, you can go back to the episode that I did with Erica Pauly. Like, here's what I'm supposed to be tracking. Like, here is how we take all of this data and we use that to tell a story. And here are the different steps so that should I have a new hire and my current assistant needs to train the new assistant like hey when we host a webinar here's who we use to host the webinar here's what needs to happen three months in advance here's what needs to happen two months in advance here's whose responsibility it is to do this and do that so okay so prospecting marketing in and of itself is a process with lots of micro processes so if you don't know where to start when it comes to building processes take something that you're already doing and just document it, get it down on paper and start with who does what, when does it happen, how do they do it? Is there a template associated with it? Is there a follow-up email that you typically use? Is there a invitation language? Instead of recreating the wheel every single time, how can we start to standardize this process? Which makes it easier to teach somebody, it makes it easier for somebody else to execute, and it does make a more seamless transition if you do have a changing of the guard. Okay, the second process that every single financial planning practice has to have is planning. (laughs) Hard to be a financial planning business without the planning piece. So this is your start to finish process of how you go to market. How do you do financial planning for your clients? What happens before during, after, and in between each and every step of your process. And this is one that we spent a obnoxious amount of time on in our group coaching program because it's really, for me, this is the crux of your financial planning. I I get people all the time like, how do I get more referrals? How do you become a referral-only practice? Honestly, the absolute best way to get referrals is to really do an amazing job planning for your clients. Doing a great job and doing a great job on an ongoing basis is absolutely your number one best form of marketing and your number one best source of referrals. So for me, here's where I like to start. I like to take an advisor's process and really break it down into steps. Do you have a three-step process? Do you have a five-step process? Most advisors have some sort of number of steps that they typically do. And the idea is to start kind of standardizing it. There are episodes here about off service offerings and how to package your process and how to make it easy to sell, but even more easy to buy. Like clients need to know, okay, what are we what so go back and listen to those a little bit. But clients like to know what are we buying? Like what do we get? What does this look like? And the more you can define this process for them, the easier it is to stand out as an advisor because these clients can latch on to this idea of, okay, they follow a five-step process and here's what happens in the first one and here's what happens in the second one. So we're kind of talking about that, but we're talking what happens front stage and what happens backstage, what happens client facing and what happens behind the scenes facing. Behind the scenes facing? I don't know if that's a thing. Behind the scenes, client facing and non-client facing. That's what we're going to go with today. So what happens before, during, after? So let's just go for an example. Let's say most advisors have some sort of prospect meeting. When you're sitting down to actually break down your planning process, we're looking at, well, what happens before that first meeting? When a when a prospective client calls in, what happens? 
Who takes that call? Do you, st- do you set up a discovery call? What does that look like? What calendar link are you using to do that? Or is your front office person calling the client and establishing a time? I guess it depends on what your lead system looks like and how you're acquiring these leads. But do you schedule a discovery call? Do they schedule a meeting? Do you send out an email prior to that meeting telling the clients what to bring, how to find you, what to expect? Is there a welcome video that goes out? Is there a welcome packet that goes out? Everybody's process looks a little different. And having worked with hundreds and hundreds of advisors on building out their planning processes, no two look the same. And it's really even hard when I give examples. So I'm just going to just, I'm just going to give a bunch of examples from lots of different types of practices. And this may work for you. This may not. Um, These might be practices that you use. These might not fit the way that you do planning at all. But so for example, so I have some clients who, or some advisor clients who like to have their prospective clients bring all of their data in. And they'll send a data gather kind of checklist to the clients before the first meeting with an email and a welcome video saying like, we're so excited to meet with you. Here's what you can expect at our first meeting. Here's all of the documentation we want you to submit ahead of time or to bring with you or to upload to our portal. And here's why we ask for all of this information in the first meeting. And here's how I'm going to add value to you in the first meeting. Or if you're an advisor that's like, hey, we don't get that data up front. We just want to get together with you and connect with you. You might send an email with a welcome. We're so excited to meet with you. Here's what you can expect you know, from our first meeting. Here's what you can bring. Here's what you don't need to bring. Um, here's, you know, we expect it to take 60 minutes. And here's some questions I want you to be thinking about ahead of time that we'll be talking about and asking you. And maybe then you can include some, some of your favorite questions that just getting clients to maybe, especially if you work with couples, having them have some of these discussions ahead of time, um, and getting some of these, you know, thought provoking questions into an email for them. So then let's say you hold this meeting you go through kind of your typical agenda. The clients obviously say, of course we want to work with you and we want to go through your amazing five-step process. And you say, great. Then this planning process is literally what happens next. So we're talking from everything of what email is sent? What is the email template for that? So the client says, yes, I want to work with you. Great. What are their marching orders? Do they get a checklist when they leave? Is it emailed to them? You know, Is it descriptions of how to get all the documents to you? Do they upload them? Do they send them through a secure email system? Is it a follow-up email two weeks later saying, hey, we haven't received these documents? Whatever that looks like for you. Again, just having it on paper, who does it? When does it happen? And is there a template or something that needs to be utilized? And if not, you know, highlighting, hey, this is somewhere where we can create a template. But literally from everything from, okay, what does the, what happens when all the data gets here? Who enters it into what? Is there someone on the team who's like the money guide pro person and they are inputting everything? Once everything's input, it goes to the advisor and she is screening it, looking for X, Y, and Z. You know, like really, it, whatever it is, or hey, we get this information, we put this in the tax software, we use Money Guide Pro for this, and then we use Asset Map for this. And here's whose job it is to put the data into the right systems. And again, it's, you know, I'm just kind of throwing out randomness here, but you get the picture. Literally start to finish. Who's writing the recommendations? Is there a template? Um, how do we 
you know, then we, we'll talk about onboarding here in a second, but this planning process is literally start to finish every single thing that somebody in your business needs to do to execute the process, getting it down on paper, and then using that as a tool to continually improve, to identify where templates can be made, to identify areas that you can delegate that maybe you've been doing, and now you've up-leveled your team a little bit. You've brought on a licensed person. There's ways for you now to go through this planning process and start to move pieces of the process to other people within your business so that you can scale. And when the same person is doing the same thing over and over and over again, that's how they get really streamlined. That's how they get really good. And then that's how you can then build confidence in the competency of your team by having someone doing the same things over and over and over again for all of your clients. And they know the drill, right? They know they need to get this to you two weeks prior to that next meeting so that you can do your part. Um, So all the things, okay? That's what your planning process is. So within your high, high level planning process, there's lots of micro processes. Okay, the third process that every financial planning business needs to have is an onboarding process. And the onboarding process, I there's a whole episode on this one as well that I will link in the show notes for you. But for me, an onboarding process is more than just getting clients who have said yes to you. It's more than just setting up their account. It's more than just collecting their fee. It's more than just getting their IRA from Fidelity to Schwab, right? That's the paperwork side of it, and you definitely need to have a really good buttoned-up process for the paperwork side so you're not triggering NIGOs that you know who's taking applications and what does that look like and how do we reduce errors and how do we reduce those NIGOs. And yep, we're going to make sure that they've got beneficiaries on all this stuff. Like there, There's the paperwork part of the onboarding process. Then there's the expectation setting part of the process. And again, you can go back to the episode on this for a much lengthier version. But how do we set expectations with our clients? How do we let them know, hey, here's what the cadence of our meeting's gonna look like. Here's how our meetings will typically go. Do we work on themes? Do we have a deep dive? Do we have a full update to a financial plan every single year? Is that every other year? It, whatever your planning process is, having the expectations of that being set in the onboarding. Also expectations of how a client's gonna engage and work with your team. Uh, when they email you, when can they expect a return? Can they expect a return from you, a return phone call from you? Or is it going to be somebody else on the team that they need to be introduced to? What can they expect from you? What's in scope and what's not in scope? The third part of an onboarding process is this human-to-human connection that we've been talking a lot about over in the Efficient Advisor community on Facebook, also in the podcast. But how can we surprise and delight our clients? How can we build intentionally, how can we have a strategy to intentionally and proactively build a deeper connection with our clients in those first 100 days of our client relationship? And if you've listened to the podcast, you know that the first 100 days of a client relationship are disproportionately important to the longevity of a client relationship. So what you do in that first 100 days of a client working with you has a long-term impact on the longevity of how long, I mean, and this is why I think about this. This is why companies have a 90 day return policy, right? We want you to use it. We want you to fall in love with it. We want you to stick with it. We know that if you make it past that first 90 days, you're probably a keeper. This is why we have 
free trials on mattresses, right? Sleep on it for a hundred days. Make sure that you absolutely fall in love with it. And if you don't, let us know and we will fix that, right? So everybody is trying really extra hard in that first 100 days to make sure that a client loves their service, loves their product, they're willing to do refunds, they're willing to do replacements. This same logic applies to a service-based business like financial planning. How can we deepen that relationship with a client? How can we wow them? How can we let them know that they made the right choice in choosing our team? How can we continue to deliver and let them know that their experience with us will be an ongoing, consistent, professional, courteous, organized, prepared, whatever words you want to use to describe your practice or whatever words you want your clients to use to describe your practice. This is where you can go deep in this onboarding process to make sure that your clients are feeling those things that you want them to feel, that you're deepening the relationship, that you're surprising and delighting them, and that you're moving from surprising and delighting to shock and awe as you build capacity on your team. And if you know me, I could literally talk about establishing a remarkable onboarding process. I could talk about that all day. Okay. So we've got prospecting and marketing. We've got planning. We've got onboarding. The fourth process that every practice has is servicing. So once these clients choose you, you take them through your planning process. They want to work with you. You've onboarded them. Now it's okay. Well, what happens after that? What happens in year two? What happens in year three? What is your strategy? What is your plan? What is your process to proactively and strategically add value to those client relationships year over year. And I have a ton of episodes on themes and value adds and ways to, you know, strategically add value to your clients year over year. So you can go back. I'll link those in the show notes as well. But the idea here is what's the process? Do you have a client service model? Do you have a way of being able to articulate to a client based on the products and services that they have with you. Here's the frequency that at which we'll meet. Here's what we do in meeting one of the year. Here's what we do in meeting two of the year. Here's what we do in meeting three. Or maybe it's, hey, we update your financial plan in the first quarter of every year. And then we do a tax analysis in every single year. And then in the third trimester of the year, we do some sort of value add or some sort of theme. Sometimes it's charitable giving. Sometimes it's estate planning. Sometimes it's uh, insurance reviews. Sometimes it's a deep dive on your investment portfolio. Maybe you have a rotating theme in the third trimester. So again, whatever that looks like for you, but having some sort of process to deliver service and value to your clients on an ongoing basis. Okay, the fifth process that every practice needs is client experience. So what is difference be- what is the difference between client experience and onboarding or servicing and adding value? So for me, the difference between like a client service and a client experience is what is actually happening to the clients where you are leveling up the experience that they have with you. Often this looks like what happens in in person. So let's say you're an advisor that meets, you know, belly to belly with clients face to face. What does their experience from the time that they walk into the office? How do you treat them? So I'll share a little story. We had a dentist that we started using when I was in maybe like fifth or sixth grade. And I can remember 
my mom jokingly referring to them as the dentist to the stars. Because when we went to this dental office, they, you know, these women behind the counter, they would hop up and they'd run out and they'd take your coats and they'd hang it up and they'd say, oh, you must be the Tates. We've been expecting you. That was my maiden name. Oh, you must be Libby. You must be Ben. You must be Susan. Welcome. We're so glad. Dr. Thompson can't wait to see you. Let me take your coat. Please sit over here. I have some water bottles. Would you like a blah, blah, blah. You know, and they do all of this stuff to make you feel just like extra fabulous from the moment that you walk in the door versus... I mean, maybe the dental experience that we had prior to that was more like you walk in, the lady looks up and is like, and grunts at you to sign the the form and sign your name in and then, you know, rolls her eyes because you're five minutes late and then you sit down and you just kind of sit there and wait. It's just a different experience. How do you level that up? Um, I have a great episode that I did with Ben and Jenna Laws of Vexia Wealth, of Vexia Wealth. And that is just a great example of holy smokes, next level client experience. You know, everything from do you serve water and water bottles or do you use real glasses? Do you have a carafe? Do you have, you know, a coffee maker where they get to pick and choose their coffee? Can you make espressos? Do you make cappuccinos? Do you basically have a Starbucks happening in your office? All of that stuff that adds to the client experience that, that, Instagrammable, that that stuff that makes it feel extra special, the stuff that clients want to share with other people, that you know, the things, the little extras that you do that just give the client experience that little joie de vivre that that you're looking to add. And it can get super fancy or it can be really basic, right? It could just be as simple as remembering what type of drink they had the last time that you're that they were in your office and having someone say to them, like, Hey, the last time you were here, you had the blueberry coffee. Would you like that again? It's those little touches that make clients feel like they are so much more than an account number. This is kind of that ongoing delivery of the human to human experience. So having a process built out to create a client experience because your clients will have an experience. (laughs) Whether it's intentional or not is completely up to you, right? If they walk into your office and there's crap everywhere and it smells like reheated Chinese food, right? They're going to have an experience. Or if they walk in and they're seated in a really nice conference room where the desk is already, you know, the table is set up for them, there's a customized agenda, maybe there's some chocolates and they're being offered drinks or coffee or snacks or what you know whatever you do you there's a million different ways to do this business well um, but that's the experience that you're wanting to um, create for them as opposed to let like we, we talk all the time about you know what's the what's the phrase I like to use by design not by default so having a client experience that is by design not by default okay. Moving on. So we've got prospecting, we've got planning, we've got onboarding, we've got servicing, we've got client experience. We also have the sixth one, referrals. Having a true referral process. And I talked about that kind of in the beginning because to me, referrals and prospecting are sort of intertwined. And again, all of these roll up into referrals, right? Having a really impactful planning process leads to referrals. Having a really exceptional onboarding process leads to referrals. Having an exceptional way of adding value to your clients and servicing them leads to referrals. Having a hella client experience leads to referrals, right? So having an actual referral process, your way by which you 
entice clients to give you. So I didn't ask for them. I have a whole thing on that. I was just on Adam Holt's Rethink podcast. Um, So if you go out to any podcast provider and type in Rethink Adam Holt, H-O-L-T, I did a a whole podcast for them on why I don't like asking for referrals, why I think it's actually a not good thing for the client relationship and what to do instead. So you can go out there. I'll link that in the show notes as well. But again, you do you. If you are super comfortable asking referrals, it seems you have you have found the way that works really well for you that feels authentic, that doesn't feel slimy or cheesy or weird, you know, knock yourself out. But again, whatever it is, having a process by which to acquire referrals, but then also to massage them. How do you get from okay, I have a name and a phone number to getting their butts in the seats, right? Or so for me, it ultimately evolved into these white glove referral events that we used to do. And they were just these really cool, small, intimate events. There's a lot of details. I promise I will do a podcast, probably a series of podcasts on them at some point. And it was just a really effective strategy that we found that worked really well for us. And we we built it into a process, right? We figured out, okay, what were the key ingredients that made this cake rise? And how do we repeat that over and over and over to have the same quality and the same consistency? And how do we build out a start to finish process to execute these referral events? Or if you're gonna be someone that asks for referrals, are you adding it to your agenda? Are you mentioning referrals on your voicemail saying, hey, if you know you referred to us, please let us know who referred you so we can properly thank them. Is it giving referral gifts? Is it hosting referral events? I know advisors do that do events for, hey, anybody who's referred someone to our practice, we're going to do this special referral event and we're going to market that all year long so people want to give us ideal referrals so that they can come to this extra special fancy event or whatever. Whatever it is that you do, creating a process that can be repeated, followed, and ideally delegated is critically important. Okay, so prospecting, planning, onboarding, servicing, client experience, referrals, and the last kind of bonus one, and I call it a bonus because not every single practice needs this, especially if you're a fee-based planning practice that doesn't manage investments. But the last and final kind of bonus process, if you will, that I'm going to guess the majority of you listening have or need to have is an investment process. So whatever your process is by how you determine what portfolio a client needs to be in, how are you doing the analysis for that portfolio, how are you doing your due diligence, how are you documenting it, how are you plucking themes from your portfolio, infusing them into your service model, or excuse me, your value add model. Um, This is the way by which, you know, are you using... ESG, are you, you know, what is your focus? How do you build out your portfolios? How do you manage? Do you use a third party? Who manages the relationship with the third party? Who does the due diligence on the third party? Whatever your process is, how do you, this could be um, also like using, do you use like an asset match or are you using risk Or, you know, what are you doing to match your clients to the right portfolio? What is your process for placing trades? Are you placing trades individually? Are you doing block trading for your entire book at the same time? What is the process by which you deliver investment 
management advice. How do you manage assets? Maybe some of this is that dishwasher rule, right? Like the what's happening behind the scenes. How are you analyzing portfolios? Are you evaluating evaluating cost structure? Are you looking at performance against peer group? Are you looking at beta? Are you looking at whatever? Whatever it is that you're doing. So you can see how each of these processes has microprocesses within it, right? So even in investment portfolio management, you're going to have several different microprocesses, right? You're going to have how you're doing your portfolio selection, how you're assessing risk for clients. Maybe you have how you're creating income for clients that are in in an income distribution phase. There's going to be all of these different pieces and parts to investment portfolio management. So there you have it. There are seven main processes that every financial planning practice has to have. And within each of them, again, there's all of these different little processes, but hopefully that gives you a place to start. And you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. So if you're one of those advisors who's like, look, Libby, I get it. I need all of that. I literally don't have very much happening right now that's formalized or documented. You don't have to start with the crazy, you know, Excel spreadsheet that has all the things and hyperlinks to templates and all the fancy stuff that we like to ultimately build out for you. But you can start with just getting some of it down on paper, even if it's just in a super skeleton form. And then asking the people who are on your team to help you start building that out. How do we start really documenting what it is that we're doing and how we're doing it? And then how do we dream a little bigger, right? How do we go that one degree better? How do we take time out of our practice to look at that, to analyze that? How do we make that time to get one degree better each and every time we reassess that process? Okay, so hopefully this was helpful for you as a way to just really high level look at your practice. So like I said in the beginning, I get asked all the time like, well, what processes do I even need? So hopefully this episode was helpful for you, at least kind of putting on that CEO hat and kind of stepping into that role for a moment and saying, okay, in order for this business to run more efficiently, to run more effectively, to be more enjoyable, to be less stressed, less overwhelmed, what are some of the basic processes that we need to get in place? Hopefully this episode helped you determine what seven processes that you need and maybe where you initially feel pulled to or where you want to go first as a great place to start. And as always, I would love to continue this conversation with you further over in the Efficient Advisor community on Facebook. We currently have almost 1,200 advisors in the group, and it has been, and I say this every time, but it's seriously, it's so fun for me to see all of these really cool questions coming in and people volunteering answers and sharing templates and sharing ideas and resources and worksheets, and it's just exactly what I had pictured. And I've got some really fun things planned for it here in 2023. So if you're not a member of the Efficient Advisor community out on Facebook, I'd love to have you join us there. Also, I like to hang out on LinkedIn. So please message me and let me know you guys, if you have any podcast episode ideas that you would love to hear more on, whether it's one of these micro processes, whether it's breaking down a template or a checklist or something that we used in our business, let me know. And I would love to serve you in that way. So 
please feel free to DM me over on LinkedIn, send me messages. I am total garbage at using Facebook Messenger, just for the record. So make a post inside the community and tag me in it. That is the best way to uh, to share your opinion. And every now and then inside of the community, I'll do a post to asking for podcast episode ideas. So if you've got one, please, please, please don't hesitate to comment on that and let me know. Thanks so much. I hope you guys have an amazing rest of your week.